So when we originally looked at the calendar and when I was going to leave, uh, I thought, oh, great, I'll be able to wrap up Ephesians right before I leave. And I can't, I can't really do that. So I am going to go 10 through 20 tonight, but I'm going to leave those remaining verses. And we will probably come back when we get back and have some wrap-up sermons. While I'm gone, Kelly's going to finish out Daniel. And probably sometime in July, we're going to have a, t- a night when we share testimonies around what God has spoken to you out of Ephesians and what God has spoken to you out of Daniel. We'll have a time of testimony. We'll have a time of prayer that night because we really want to sit with and respond to whatever it is that the, the Spirit wants to say to us out of these texts. We're really excited, I think, about taking a little bit slower pace through these books and going back and forth through them. Now, if I were going to title tonight's sermon, I don't know if you were here two weeks ago, I would call it, I Won't Back Down, Part 2. Okay, if you were here two weeks ago, Kelly shared out of Daniel chapter 3, and he cited that Tom Petty song, I Won't Back Down. And when he was preaching, I was struck by how much um, coincidence, how much um, consonance there was between what Kelly was sharing and what happens here in these verses. In fact, when we were praying at the end, I don't know if anybody noticed, but Bob actually prayed or read those verses from this section of Ephesians. So we're going to look at those tonight. Uh, Let's start with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This may be one of the most important things Paul says. Be strong in the the Lord and in the strength of his might. And remember, going back to this theme that Paul has underlined throughout, believers are in Christ. We have been placed in Christ by the Father, and that is how we are strong. Uh, But it's key here that he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, Paul has said a lot about the power of God in Ephesians. He has said that the power of God that is to believers— is the exact same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And all Paul can do is pray that that those believers in Ephesus would have some kind of a grasp that that's the power that the Father has made available to us through our faith in Jesus. And this is the power that Paul is saying we need to be strong in. And it's important that he says, he gives it as a command. He says, listen, guys, you've been given this grace, but you can let it lay by. You shouldn't. You need to endue yourself. You need to strengthen yourself with the power that is given you because of the work of Jesus. That power is the power that we are called to be strong in and to strengthen ourselves in daily. It's the power, ultimately, this is the most important thing. You know, we think of power, and I, I don't know, I think of superheroes, but this is not the power of the superhero. This is the power of being able to love. This is the power of being able to give up your rights to do what is right and good and loving for someone else. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Paul has already told us to put something on earlier in the letter. In chapter four, he said that we are to put on Christ and he uses the exact same word here. And I think that earlier occurrence of this phrase is a clue to what's going on here in these verses. What I think Paul is telling us is he's reminding us to do what he's already told us to do, which is to put on Christ. We are, again, placed in Christ by faith, but we are to daily say, okay, Father, my old life is over. I'm putting the old life away, and I'm taking up the life of your son, and I want to try to live out his life. I want to try to practice being Christ today. And I know it's preposterous, but it's what God gives us his grace for, and it's what he commands us to do. So we're to put on Christ. 
But here, Paul just changes the key a little and says that we put on Christ, who is the divine warrior. He's the victorious king. And I think this is key because Paul is not telling us to get all excited and strengthen ourselves in our own strength. He's not calling us to get all excited about doing warfare on our own. Our warfare is that we are in Christ and we put on Christ in the things that we do. So it's from him who's waged the war already that we should learn to wage war ourselves. And it's really important to consider how Christ waged that war. And I think maybe one of the most typical places we can think is in the temptation before he began his ministry. Right? He goes out into the wilderness and he's tempted of Satan uh, after fasting for 40 days. And if I could sum what Satan wants Christ to do, it's he wants Christ to take shortcuts to bringing the kingdom. He wants him to shortcut the cross. He wants him to shortcut the humiliation. He wants him to shortcut all of the ways the Father has designated that Christ would go about his mission. Remember when Peter says, oh, Jesus, you're not going to go to the cross. What does Jesus call him? Get behind me, Satan. Right? Because he's thinking like Satan, which is, you know what? Just shortcut the cross. Go for fame. Go for using your power uh, to, to provide for your own needs. Go for all of these shortcuts instead of taking up the cross that the Father has given him. And so I think the temptation that we face that Paul wants to warn us again in this section on spiritual warfare is shortcuts to maturity in Christ. It's shortcuts to the ways in which God wants to mature us in the love that he's called us to live one for another. And notice that he says that we have to stand up against the schemes. The King James, I believe, says wiles. And I like that because I always think of Wiley Coyote. But Wiley Coyote wasn't that wily, right? These are very clever methods. He doesn't typically tempt us with the sins that we know are obvious sins. He tempts us with those things that look good and look like they have good outcomes. But they shortcut the work of following Christ that he's called us to. So those are, the, those are the temptations that we face. Again, I think Paul would tell us, listen, you know the obvious sins. We've already talked about them. I want you to avoid those ways of following me that ultimately undercut who I am because it's all about you maturing in Christ and deepening in him. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So C.S. Lewis said that there's two strategies that the devil has when he, when he thinks about us and thinking about him. The first strategy is that we would have an absolute fascinated sort of fixation on Satan and kind of be worried about him and preoccupied with him and, and maybe even superstitious. He loves that because it gets us afraid. It gets us oriented towards his power. The other strategy is ignorance. And Paul, in many places, says we're, we're not called to be ignorant, right? He wants us to be aware of the devices of the enemy. And I would suggest that in these pages, Paul is just saying, guys, we have an enemy, and here's how we face him. He's not excited. He's not worked up. He's not worried. He's simply calling us to the simple task of standing against him. So I think there's two temptations when we think about Satan. Again, one temptation is sort of paranoia, fear, worry, superstition, I would say. It's a preoccupation with him. It's a, 
It's a looking, at, looking for him over your shoulder and in every corner. I think the opposite temptation, there's another one, is sort of the culture warrior mode, moral crusade, vilifying people, rage, defining ourselves by what we're against, living a kind of a negative spirituality. So there's this sort of anger and culture warrior on one side, and then there's this sort of fear on the other. And Paul is calling us to neither. He's calling us to a very confident place that we're called to be in. These forces that he's now addressing are at the back of worldwide evil. And I've said it before, but if you go to universities, they don't understand evil. It's hard for people to understand evil. They, they can identify individual things that they can explain as evil. But what is evil? Right? What, is, what is its source? Well, this is what Paul is talking about. This is, these are the forces behind worldwide evil, everything from the Holocaust to domestic abuse to everything else. These are the forces that hate God and want to destroy mankind. And they are indeed loose in the world. They're real. But Paul stresses a couple things. First, our war is not against flesh and blood. That's a simple way of saying our war is not against any people. There's no people that are our enemies. Now, Jesus will say, love your enemies, because there's people that perhaps might hate us. But ultimately, we have no enemies that are people. As we sang tonight, people are victims of the enemy. They're captives of the enemy. They're dupes of the enemy. And so were we. But people are never our enemy. Peter Kraft, in a, very, in a great lecture, would say that there's two enemies in the spiritual warfare we have. There's demons, and there's our old selves, the demon that we could become if we let ourselves remain in the old ways that we've been given to. But Paul has something much better to say about them. And I think the best way to understand what Paul wants to say in these verses is to listen to what he's already said about these powers. All right, he's already talked about them all through the letter. And let me just remind you of some of the things he said about them. In chapter 1, he said that Christ has been raised far above all rule and authority and every, every dominion and name. The point is that Christ has defeated them. He has permanently been raised to the place of victory. And they are far below him, under his feet. This is so crucial. We start with Christ defeating the powers, disarming the powers. Then in chapter 2, Paul says that there is this spirit, those powers that are the ruling, the ruling spirit of this age. But the Father, because of our faith in Christ, has placed us in Christ, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And therefore, those powers have no authority, no dominion over the people of God. It's so crucial to hear. All right, there's not a victory to be won. The victory is won. And the people of God are in and connected to the conquering king. And we stand in that victory. In chapter 3, Paul just wants to pray that we would be able to get our minds around the great grace that has included us in this victory. That has made us a part of this victory over the evil that the spirit of this age is working in the world. And then finally, in chapters 4 and 5, Paul wants to say, we are not bound to live the way the spirit of this age led us along before. We don't have to live that way anymore. And he calls us to put off that old mindset and that old way of thinking and to practice the way of Christ, 
which is being poured out for one another. So I think these are important points to understand before we get to these verses to understand what Paul has to say about spiritual warfare. In an ultimate sense, that war has been won. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, has anybody noticed a repeated word? Stand. Paul says some form of stand four times. Okay, this is why I think we could call this, I won't back down part two. Paul wants to say something to us. He wants us to be stable. He wants us to stand our ground. He's not adding anything new. He's simply saying we need to stand in the ground that grace has given us through the work of his son, Jesus. And how do we do that? How do we put on the whole armor of God? I think there's a couple of things about this that are important. It is the knowledge of what Christ has done that we are to put on. It is the the receiving of the gift that God has given us in him. He says, stand, 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 stand in what God has done in Christ. There's nothing new to be accomplished. The armor of God, I want to suggest, is Christ himself. Just as Paul said in chapter 4 that we're to put on Christ, the armor that we're to put on is Christ himself. It's his character. It's his way. That's the armor. That's the impenetrable armor. So Paul gives us nothing new here. He is only encouraging us to stand in all the good things he's already talked about and in all the challenges that he's already given us. We're to persist in standing in this new position of identity with Christ and the grace that comes from from that identity. And most importantly, Paul wants to say, we're to do that together. This is not individual spiritual warfare. This is corporate spiritual warfare. Verse 14, he says it again. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, which you, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Now, people will tell you that these are details about Roman armor. I don't think Paul wants us to get distracted analyzing every piece of this equipment. I think he wants us to pay attention to what they're illustrating. Notice what he says. The, um, notice what he says. They are the belt of truth. We've talked a lot about truth in Ephesians, right? Speaking to one another in love, speaking the truth to one another. He's underlining something he's already said. The breastplate of righteousness. Scripture tells us in many places, Christ is our righteousness. He's the one who makes us right with God and gives us the task of setting the world right. Shoes, feet girded with shoes that are the readiness of the gospel of peace. Well, remember, Christ is our peace. He's the one that has made peace between us and God, and we're ambassadors of peace, called to make peace and invite people to the peace that comes from the blood of the cross. The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the point is truth, righteousness, the readiness of the gospel, or peace, faith, salvation. These are all things that Paul has talked about. These are the gifts of the gospel. Paul is simply calling us to stand firm in the gifts that we have received. Amen? And again, 
he knows the enemy's strategy. And the enemy's strategy is to distract us, to set us off course, to trick us and get us to take a shortcut to Christian maturity, to say, maybe there's a better way than just the way of humbling yourself in service to another. Maybe there's a better way than giving up your rights to lay down your life for your wife or your friend or your servant or whoever, whoever it may be. He tricks us by getting us to trust something more exciting, more trendy, something that looks like it has more immediate results. But think about all the images of Christian maturity in Scripture. They're agricultural images. Trees, vines, seeds. Those take time. You don't see immediate results. Paul wants to stay, stay put in the gospel of grace. Stay put in the love. Let your roots go down deep so that you can't be moved, so that you can't be knocked off of this path that God has given us. So I think this armor is descriptions of Christ. Don't worry if you're, if you're thinking, oh no, I'm having a terrible day. What was the one armor? I can't remember what the belt was. I don't think you're going to mess up. Put on Christ. Receive the grace that comes from his character. Act out his life in the world. That is warfare enough. Amen? Amen. Verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought. So lastly, Paul says we ought to pray, mainly pray. This is the way to be strong in the strength that is in the Lord. This is the way to be strong in the might that is given us in the gospel is to pray. Paul says, pray with the help of the spirit. And notice how he says it. Pray all the time with all kinds of prayers for all the people of God. He covers it all. All times, all prayers and supplications for all the saints. Start with those closest to you in your life. And by the way, I've discovered that one of the ways of, if you have a relationship in which you struggle, somebody that you clash with, somebody that you have a hard time with, I want to suggest that one of the best things you can do to begin to work on that relationship is pray for them. If you begin to really pray for them with the intention that God really bless them and then really use you to bless them, man, that moves mountains. And so Paul says, pray. Pray for all saints. Start with those closest to you and move out. And then finally, Paul says, and this is maybe the amazing thing, pray for me. Right? This is Paul. This is the guy who's just unfolded all this amazing stuff to us. He says, pray for me. Pray that I would have the boldness that I need. Paul's saying, hey, sometimes I don't feel like I've got the boldness, the openness that I need to proclaim this gospel in the context I'm called to. So please pray for me that I could have that boldness. So I want to demystify spiritual warfare. And I think Paul has done a marvelous job here. He doesn't tell us to, to go out and do a, you know, tear down the king. No, we stand victorious in Christ. And he says, listen, stand in the gospel. Live your life in love for other people. Pray for the people of God. That is what you are called to do. That is the warfare that he's calling us to. So if I were to summarize it, three things that I would say about all of this. There are powerful forces that want to knock us off our game, but Christ has defeated them. 
If you are a believer and you are in Christ, they have no dominion over you. They have no authority over you. And the only thing they can do is trick you. And so we have to be shrewd with the shrewdness that God has given us. We have to have our radar up for the ways in which he would like us to shortcut the cross and shortcut the maturity that we're called to. The second thing is that we are to stand our ground in the graced position that we have in Christ. Paul can't stop praying that we would get it, and he can't stop challenging us to stay put in that grace. Amen? And he says that we are to do this by putting him on and living out his character in community. All the things that he said about putting away falsehood, all the things that he said about don't just work for yourself anymore, work so that you're a source of supply. That is one of the ways that you do spiritual warfare. If you say, God, you know, my life has been kind of turned in on myself and I really haven't thought about the ways in which you want me to be a source of grace to the people of God. If you begin to do that, that is spiritual warfare. Satan hates that. He doesn't want that to happen. The power that he has given us is the power for us to love other people. The power that he has given us is the power for us to be a genuine source of supply to the people of God. In standing your ground, he also says, know his word. Consider how often the word and knowing the word is put in the context of warfare of some kind. If you remember in the book of Joshua, it opens with Moses' word to Joshua that he would have the word of God in his mouth day and night and that that would be key to his success. Consider how Jesus faced the temptations of Satan in the wilderness. It was precisely because he knew the word that Satan couldn't quote the word to him in a way that was meant to deceive him. Does that make sense? The point is Satan used the Bible to try to knock Jesus off his game of laying down his life for the sins of the world. But Jesus knew the Bible better. And so had we better know. That's our sword to defend against the one who would deceive us and trick us. We're called to know it. In every relationship, like we talked about last week, you want to do spiritual warfare? In every relationship, look up to your identity in Christ and find out how he would lay down his life for them and follow him in laying down your life in that relationship. That's spiritual warfare. So what is Paul ultimately saying? Stability. Stability in the grace of Christ and standing against novelty, shortcuts, and whatever comes across is more exciting. And finally, Pray all the time, all kinds of prayers for all the saints. Amen? Any questions on that before we, uh, we come to the table? Is this good? Is this helpful? Demystify spiritual warfare to a certain degree. All we are called to do is stand our ground in the grace that he has given us and stand our ground in this way that he's called us to live. Amen.